Welcome to Full Body Frequency, the one-hour weekly show that celebrates everything full-bodied and fabulous. I'm Laura Rice, cultural curator, fashion designer, and your guide through the Full Body Frequency experience. This is the current through which we will explore the truths and explode the myths about the lives and loves of plus-size women. Since our lives shouldn't depend on how others see us, neither will this show. Full Body Frequency is the platform through which we will dialogue about moving in this world fully engaged with passion and purpose. Our foundation, fashion, art, culture, beauty, health, and wellness. Each week we'll go behind the blogs with some of your favorite and soon-to-be favorite bloggers with the flow. Our Global Hotness segment brings you the world as we explore the international adventures of plus-size women everywhere. We'll change frequencies and explore life's possibilities. Plus One is your takeaway for the week. And because we want to hear from you, send us some listener love on Facebook at Full Body Frequency. Joining me in the flow this week is beauty blogger Tarshell Beards. Tarshell stays to bring global hotness with her international plus-size spa experiences. We'll change frequencies and prepare to hit the open road with some help from Harley-Davidson Riding Academy instructor and bicycle enthusiast Smidmore Bernard. And later, curvy songstress Roger Lari shares her sophomore CD. It's her very personal journey of a woman. Up next, we'll go in the flow with photography spas and the plus-size body. It's Full Body Frequency, where large is luscious living. Stay tuned. You're walking, talking steady. You're ready to be thinking with your own inhibitions. If I told you so, you never believe me. To do yourself must make those crucial decisions. Yeah. Step on your own place. Keep stepping at your own place. Welcome back to Full Body Frequency. I'm Laura Rice. Now it's time to get into the flow with Tarshell Beards. This activist, librarian, journalist, publicist, and professor is a makeup maven and a blogger. Tarshell, welcome. Last weekend, you attended an event that I had never heard of. You called it, well, it was called a headshot party. So immediately I thought, this must be for media folks, for actors, but really it's for any and everyone that has a presence on social media. I think it's for anyone, right, anyone who's concerned about their physical presence, their brand on social media, and then um, people who, who need public photos for their career. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was a combination of both. So why did you do it specifically? I did it. Um, the last professional headshot I took, I was 28. I had just moved to Chicago. So it's been a good 15 years since I've had, and I've had great photos taken of me over the years, but I hadn't sat in a studio and had a professional headshot done. So for me at this point in my career it was definitely needed. Um, and so I just signed up and it was a good deal. Cool. Cool. So share that whole experience with us, the pre-shoot preparation, um, your, the actual being there and, and what are your takeaways? Well, I'm a big uh, beauty girl, and so I needed a flawless face for the day. So I hired my friend who's a makeup artist to do my face, and I do my own hair. So that was a focal point for me to make sure that my hair and makeup was on point. I wore black because when in doubt, that's always my philosophy, wear black. So I was just generally concerned about my look for my picture, mm-hmm. which is your brand. Mm-hmm. So um, that that was really my preparation. That did take hours. I'm making it sound like it was less than it was, but it did take quite a few hours. So um, I did all of that and then went to the studio 
for the pictures. It was a, a event where there was a, like a day party as well as pictures. So um, I wasn't quite sure what to expect because I had never been there, but it was quite a few people. There was a line to get your photo taken. So it was unlike my first headshot experience where I was in the studio solo with a photographer and had an hour plus. This was a very short experience with the photographer, two to three minutes, you know, quite a few poses, snap, snap, mm-hmm. onto the next person. Now, would you do it again in terms of the outcomes? Were you pleased? I would not. I would hire and have a more solo experience, a more individualized experience. I think that in those, maybe I had five minutes, there wasn't a capture of my true essence mm. in the photo, just more of, okay, put your hands up, you know, more kind of stagnant poses and I'm not that girl to mm-hmm. put my hands up and pose like that. So um, I wasn't looking for those type of shots. I think some people had great shots and they were very pleased, but I wasn't necessarily pleased mm-hmm. with that. Now, do you think the photographer's experience was right for you, for your body type, specifically as a plus-size woman? I don't know his experience with a plus-size woman, but I do know that there was a woman prior to me going, who was also plus size, and she was not very pleased with her photos. He cut off her arms, and I think he didn't, he didn't, she didn't request that. Um, I specifically asked for my arms not to be photographed, not because I don't like to show my arms, but because I forgot my body makeup. So ah, wow. <laughs> I like to put body makeup if I'm going to be photographed because you, you, our bodies have flaws just like our faces, so mm-hmm. to cover up blemishes and things like that. So I asked him to focus more on my face the top of my dress, um, and he did. He focused on my face. He zoomed in on my face. But, again, I didn't like necessarily the outcome as much as I have with other photos that I've taken. Mm, mm. So I don't know his experience with plus sizes, but I think that people assume that um, plus-size women or people in general, bigger bodies, don't want their bodies to be photographed, and I think that that's not true. Um, It's just how you photograph it. So if if someone has a fat face and you zoom up on the face, to me that makes the face look bigger. Right. Right, instead of trying to capture. So, for instance, one of the things I like to capture in my face are my cheekbones and my eyes. So it takes a different angle to do that, to really capture that essence of, of, of who I am, I think, so. Absolutely. Well, speaking of in the same vein of taking photos, there seems to be a growing yet somewhat cyclical focus on full-figured nudes, Mm -hmm. um, body shots. And um, as you mentioned, you do you when you show your arms. Well, you take photos of your arms and photos. You use uh, makeup. Right. You you are truly a makeup maven. I am sure. (laughs) (laughs) I have body makeup, shimmer lotion, all kind of stuff. Oh wow. Okay. Well, we're gonna have to talk about that later. Because this is very interesting to me. So, but many of these series, including Full Beauty Project, which you saw, mm-hmm. are promoted as art, yet they don't always show us in the best light, mm-hmm. literally and figuratively. In some sense, it's almost fetish-like yes. or the objectification of plus-size bodies. What's your take on that? I think I did look at that Full Body Project, and I didn't like it. I think that I don't care what size a woman is. She wants to look pretty in a photo. Everybody wants to be pretty. Everybody wants them, their body and their image to portray a certain brand or whatever that is for them. But all women, and I also want to say all women have body issues, not just plus-size women. But when I see those exhibits, it's a focus on the fat. Okay, let me let me shoot this role that she has rather than this woman. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, in that project, 
I didn't see, I mean, you know, I want someone to take a picture of me putting on makeup or getting ready or, you know, working or teaching, writing on the board, not just sitting there looking like, oh, I'm just so fat. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that's what those photos portrayed to me. Like I want to just, he just wanted to objectify these women who were seriously probably considered morbidly obese, but yet very beautiful. So there was a less focus on their beauty. What other things were they besides obese? So are they teachers? Are they makeup mavens? What, what? They just sort of were there. Mm -hmm. So I didn't like that. And I think unlike photographing thin bodies, they do sort of so that they're in poses like they're athletic or sexy, you know what I mean? To portray Mm -hmm. that other part of their character. But in that particular exhibit, the only part they want to show is that they're fat. They're fat, right. Well, on the other end of the spectrum, there was the Militant Bakers Exposed Project, which was recently uh, featured in the Huffington Post in an Mm -hmm. article entitled 96 Bodies You Won't See on Billboards. Now, this kind of reminded me of the Dove Real Bodies campaign, but it was like times three to the, to the third power, really, in terms of the level of exposure. And so in this campaign, 96 women recruited on Facebook, gathered in Tucson, Arizona, to disrobe in front of total strangers in the name of body love. Um, now, this is the second time Baker and uh, Kay, the photographer, have shot images for this project. And in a blog about the shoot, the photographer explained how she stressed the beauty and uniqueness of every participant during the process. And she said, what I really want the women to get out of our time, however brief together, was that they were important, that their bodies deserve to be seen, that what they perceive as flaws are simply them and neither right nor wrong, and that showing their bodies won't innately cause harm, their breasts won't cause damage to those around them or their bellies or their thighs either, while making them vulnerable does not make them at fault. And lastly, their bodies are their vehicles through life and to treat them with kindness. I hope that came across. Did you find that to be the case with this project? I did actually like that project. And um, one, there was a variety of sizes from, from thin to what someone would call obese, but it showed the realness of a body. There are thin women with guts. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and there, if you go to the gym, you, you know, you see thin women with cellulite. You think you're the only woman. Or, you know, so I enjoyed that. I lo- enjoyed the diversity of the bodies. But the difference, again, was they showed women in their sexy lingerie. Um, you know, some had cover-ups. Some were completely nude. They were in different poses. So it showed the bodies in different ways. And I think that those poses showed the women themselves who they were, what were their, their you know, attributes of themselves, whereas the other project just, again, showed the fat. So I, that project I actually enjoyed. It is very similar to the Dove Project in that we want to show real bodies, and that's what real bodies look like. All bodies have flaws. There are very few people out here with a perfect body, and those who do, those are our celebrities and models and that kind of thing, but everyday women and everyday people um, have flaws. So I enjoyed that project more because it was a little bit more artistic in my opinion, but um, a more realness um, to the people who were posing and less about just their body. Just their bodies. Right. 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 Well, would you ever consider uh, participating in a project like uh, this last one we spoke about? 
Um, yes, <laughs> probably. I, I do need to get the nerve up. You know, I think everybody has to be comfortable. It's not that I'm not un- that I'm uncomfortable with my body, but I do need to feel comfortable with a photographer and also have a way that I want to be portrayed and, and be able to articulate that. Um, that Italian project, the very first one, that's not something that I would ever do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Total objectification of, right. of right. women's bodies. Well, speaking of disrobing, mm-hmm. let's get into some global hotness. And Tarshell is also a world traveler who believes in self-care. Thus, she has spawed her way all over the world. And so what comes first for you, the destination or the spa? Oh, it's definitely the destination. The spa is a part of my experience of travel, um, just like eating out and shopping and all the other things we do. But especially when I'm traveling to, to warm climates or the beach or things like that, places like that, I like to do the spa as well. Cool. So what are your favorite and least favorite spa experiences? And what are your recommendations or tips for us? Um, favorite. My favorite spa uh, is was in Jamaica um, at Jackie's on the Reef. It's outside of Negril. It's up on a cliff. And um, that is my favorite because it did push me out my comfort zone at the time. This is about 10 years ago. Um, I signed up for a scrub and a massage and I, you know, I got to Jackie's. It was a day thing that I signed up for. And the woman said, put on your bathing suit and follow me. And I followed her down some grass road or whatever. And then she says, okay, take your bathing suit off and lay on the table. And I was like, out here in the middle of nowhere, just a table, like someone's going to see me. And she's like, whatever, no one's going to see you. So, you know, that was usually when you get a massage, you go into a room by yourself. So I'm out in the open on this table um, she comes, she gets some seawater and all these herbs, she douses me with water, and then she puts on these amazing gloves. I've never seen gloves like that before, where she scrubs my body down. Mm. I mean, it was just, a, it was like a weird yet amazing experience because usually when you go to the spa here in the state, they cover it up and they, they scrub you, but this is like, no, put your arm up, put your leg up, turn over, roll to your side. <laughs> It was like a, a when you were a baby and your mama was cleaning you, kind of scrub. And then she put mask on my face and some stuff in my locks. And so then she goes, okay, I'll be right back. And she gets some more seawater and then she just throws it on me to clean me off. And then I was like, okay, this is good. And she says, get up, go sit over there on that rock in the sun. Hmm. And I was like, just out in the sun like that? Just, no, I need a towel. No, no. She's like, no, just go sit there and let the sun cleanse and, and dry you off and heal you. And that is was an amazing experience for me as a plus size woman, as a woman, as someone who's not, I'm not really one of those women that like to walk around nude. I, I just, I, you know, I grew up with all brothers. So I just had to sit there mm-hmm. in the nude, in the open. <laughs> People, other guests are around, everybody's around, but no one was really paying attention to me, but it was very, a very um, freeing experience. Mm-hmm. Very different from, from me. I can be pretty reserved. Um, and had only been to other spas where you have your robe and your singular room and your shower. And th- this was totally not like that. But um, it was an amazing scrub, amazing massage. If you're ever in Jamaica, you need to get to Jackie's on the Reef. It is the most um, serene place that I've been in terms of a spa. But that was one of my, that is my best experience. That's your best, yeah. right. So what are the tips for traveling as a plus size, curvy, full-figured woman, and doing the spa thing? Well, I think that you have to go prepared, meaning always have your swimsuit and always have a robe or a cover-up because there may be a time when there are not robes that fit. Mm 
So, um, and we can get mad and say, oh, they should have, but most people who spy, I think, are not plus size. And I don't know why. I mean, I meet a lot of plus size women who are not really into the spies like I am. But I always bring a cover up, something that will work in a spy environment or in the gym or that kind of thing. I think that you also need to have a, a certain level of confidence, you know, um, because you may be around a bunch of thin women who are just kind of lounging around in their bodies and you're, you don't look like that bodies, but I don't want you to that to deter women from going because you're there to get the healing benefits of the spa or the beauty benefits, whether it's a facial or a massage or a scrub or whatever it is, you're there to enjoy that. And if you're comfortable, you'll get that. If you're uncomfortable, you won't because okay. you'll be focused on being uncomfortable rather than me lounging on that rock in the sun, you know, but it, it took a few minutes, but then I was like, wow, this feels good, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. you have to really kind of get out, get out. That's the whole purpose of the spa is to really release. So I'll always be prepared. And I think just have a certain level of confidence and know your comfort zones, too, because maybe you're not a scrub girl because that pushed me out of my comfort zone. Someone scrubbing my body down. But um, maybe you're a facial girl. You know, maybe you like Thai massage because that's clothed and not full body. So, you know, figure out what your comfort zones are. So now, what's your favorite spa treatment? I love it all. <laughs> I don't discriminate. Um, I try to get facials every season. Um, I love a good massage. I do the mani-pedi. I love it all. I love it all. The body scrubs I like, um, but I have particular places. Like Jackie's on the Reef was great. I went to a traditional Haman spa, Turkish bath spa in Paris, that experience was probably my least favorite, though it was a good experience because I was, it was, you know, that's a very communal experience and right. I was not quite into it, <laughs> you know, um, but it, it's, it goes down in my travel book. Like I did this, I was in Paris, I did it. I met a woman while I was there and she said to me, she was, she was Middle Eastern or from Northern Africa. I, I don't remember. Um, she said, I can tell you're uncomfortable, but we come here to let everything go. So she's like, try to let it go. You know, just this is what we do with our friends because it's very communal. And it was just a bunch of women together scrubbing each other and doing a communal bath thing. So slowly but surely, I started to get a little bit more comfortable. But I realized that's really not for me. So like the Korean spa baths are really popular here in Chicago. Um, but I haven't been because I'd rather do something like Jackie's on the Reef where I'm solo mm-hmm. rather than in a communal environment. Okay. That's great. So, ladies, tips. Do the spa. Yes. Figure out your comfort zone. <laughs> yes. Bring your own robe. Bring your own robe or some sort of cover-up so that you're comfortable walking through the bathrooms and, you know, to the treatment rooms. And it, some spas have robes. That f- I've been to spas that have robes that fit. I've been to some that don't close. So you want to make sure that you're comfortable. Well, that's great. Well, Tarshell, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Absolutely. You'll be back. You'll be back. You can read more about Tarshell Beards and her plus-size global spa experiences when you visit the Full Body Frequency Facebook page. Okay. Okay.
Full Body Frequency. I'm Laura Rice, your host. Joining me now is Smentmore Bernard, a writer, coach, and instructor for Harley-Davidson Writer Academy and international writing enthusiast. Smentmore, thank you. What did you write in on today? I came in today on a BMW S1000RR. So tell me just a little bit about that. Well, it was considered to be a couple of years ago, uh, if I remember correctly, it was um, Cycle World's um, best sports bike of the year. Um, it's a phenomenal bike, um, very smooth. Um, literally, it is street-worthy, but also very track-worthy. Ah, okay. So clearly that's a little bit too advanced for me right now. Um, but, you know, I've shared with you that I've had a lifelong secret desire to ride, and I actually have two fantasies. The first one, I'm riding down the streets of Milan in a Vespa with a couple of bottles of Prosecco and secured in my front basket. <laughs> and a bolt of fabric tucked under the uh, under one arm, and I'm headed to my design studio. And the second is me on a motorcycle riding through Malibu, California, down Pacific Coast Highway, heading to Napa Valley. You know, wind whipping through my hair. Of course, this is pre-haircut. And <laughs> despite offers of lessons from friends, I've neither taken them up on them, nor have I invested in riding lessons. So that said, Smed, why do you ride? Where did you start? Where do I start? Okay, well... I actually got my love for motorcycling basically from bicycling. Uh, I don't know if you knew I was actually a track cyclist. Used to uh, ride track bikes. Track bikes are bicycles with no brakes. They ah. just have the. It's a fixed gear bike, okay. like what you see the messengers ride. Okay. Um, and from there, I went to motorcycling kind of by accident. It was kind of a situation where I had an opportunity to learn, and because I had good bicycle skills, it translated to good motorcycle skills. Mm. From that point, I actually got my license when I was a junior in in high school and got my very first bike, which was actually a very large bike for, for a guy at that time for my age. Um, I actually got a 1985 Honda VFR Interceptor. It was a 700, and that, that was pretty big for, for a, a 17-year-old. Well, where do I start? Now, oh. Because I'm I'm clearly out of high school, no <laughs> longer a junior, <laughs> you know, a little older. So 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 where do I begin? Well, first of all, I think you you've got the right start. You have a a dream in your head, and it's your dream, and opposed to a dream that someone else has imposed upon you. And from that point, with a clear head, take classes. Okay. Um, I would definitely recommend a program much like the Harley Davidson Writer Academy because. We take a few moments to talk about the mental process as well as the physical process. Now, I know you instruct men and women. Is there a difference between their receptivity or the way they take to the bike? Or Oh, a huge difference. Okay. Uh, I would definitely say that men kind of run on bravado, where women will be very honest with themselves in terms of what I feel I can't do and what I feel I can do. Uh, women will be very honest in terms of, how do I do this where a man will kind of hold on for a second, be kind of hesitant to ask for advice or uh, counsel? Are there likely to be more accidents on the course with men 
versus women? I wouldn't necessarily say that. However, I think a man would take more chances than a woman would. Okay. Chances or risk? Definitely risk. Um, whenever you do something that is a little bit above our comfort level, it's a risk. Um, if I was to stand on this chair that I'm sitting on right now, I'm at more risk than opposed to sitting at it. So, of course, my level of risk on the, the risk ladder of risk goes up. If you go up one more rung, you're doing something a little bit more risky. Um, sometimes men get caught up more in the, the moment uh, than thinking about what's the next move where women don't. Ah, oh, gotcha, gotcha. So specifically, how can women, how can we prepare ourselves physically and mentally for writing lessons, then the license examination, and then for the open road? And I think women love, uh, love going to classes. I mean, when's the last time you've been to a spin class full of men? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's a good thing about women. They, they know that they want to learn, so they're going to take the right steps. Physically, there's only one thing that usually impairs a lot of women, not all women, but a lot of women, is the fact of uh, hand grip. Okay. Uh, men, well, and that's not all men either, uh, men tend to do things that require grips like lift weights, um, and that's not always the case. But what I find is that men usually have, because just their hands are bigger, typically, not always, they tend to have the ability to grip things. In this case, we're talking about a clutch. And holding in that clutch when you're first learning is a very important thing. Women have a tendency to hold the clutch, and if you don't learn how to shift into neutral, your hands will get tired. When your hands get tired, the physical when the physical goes, the mental has to follow. Mm. So you get fatigued, and that's the only problem. So what the can we problem. do? What can we do? Uh, are there stress balls or lifting weights or? Absolutely. If you're already lifting weights, and you're fine, typically. Okay. Um, and otherwise, then I would recommend, and I usually counsel prospective students as they come in like two weeks before, try just kind of working with a stress ball, particularly with your left hand, because that's your hand with, with the clutch. If you have an opportunity, come in when we have our garage parties, which are usually parties for women, and we'll show you how to get into neutral. And that way you don't have to keep so much, you know, have to use so much hand, uh, hand spread, uh, pressure in order to keep the bike in neutral. Uh, a good strategy is to know how to do certain things beforehand uh, to make your learning experience pleasurable. Okay, okay. So now we're going to go back to my fantasy. So I'm riding without a helmet. Again, when whipping through the hair fantasy. Whoop, can I stop you real quick? Sure. We ride with a helmet. Well, I know. No, no. <laughs> I was going to say, but the reality of riding okay. is that helmets can save lives, and in many states, wearing a helmet while riding is the law. Correct. So, well, in addition to helmets, riding gloves and ankle supportive boots and jeans, what, what is one key piece of rider-friendly garment that you would recommend for ladies to purchase for both safety, comfort, and style? Ladies particularly? Particularly, yes. Uh, I would definitely say a pair of flat boots. Okay. And I run across this all the time. You're excited to do something, so you buy a rider boot that has a heel, but not just any heel, mm. but like a, a three-inch heel or a four-inch heel. Stilettos on the bike. Stilettos on the bike. Okay. It's a little difficult on balance. So find yourself a pair of comfortable shoes. 
What about jackets? Now, I, I've done a little bit of research looking at motorcycle jackets. And, of course, ladies, you know, lots of the uh, plus-size manufacturers continue to supply fashionable motorcycle jackets to our favorite stores. However, they're not ventilated. They're not mm. padded. So talk a little bit about the need for, I, I guess you would say, regulation or standard sort of motorcycle gear? Sure. Well, I would definitely say something that would be protective in the case of a slide, but just let's not even think about that, that, that what if. Let's just think about just in terms of comfort. You want to have a jacket that's versatile, so you might want to have a mesh jacket. Mesh jackets usually have two layers of mesh, so it gives you that protection, but also it allows you to breathe. Uh, Harley-Davidson is very good about that. Um, they make a great line of uh, gear that uh, is protective as well as fashionable. And ladies, I will remind you again, there's nothing worse than not being able to maneuver your arm quickly enough because you look cute, but your jacket sleeve is too tight. And again, as Smith said, Harley-Davidson has a great line, of, in particular a plus-size clothing for riding, as does Asphalt Sisters. So check them out. Uh, you just mentioned the weather. Since riding can be seasonal, and then depending on the climate, the clothing one chooses is really important it is often dictated by the weather. Sure. Um, with that in mind and given wind, mm -hmm. and what is the temperature differential between walking outside and riding a motorcycle on a 50-degree Fahrenheit day? Oh, wow, that's a good question. Let's make the assumption you're riding roughly around, let's call it 45 miles an hour on a 55-degree day. That could be a, anywhere between a 10 to 15-degree uh, difference depending on wind. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Get that gear ride for the weather. Exactly. Clearly, I'm a full-figured woman, mm -hmm. and I require a, a bike that will accommodate and comfortably support my body while providing the speed and power that I want. Mm -hmm. Okay, going back to jumping up the fantasy. I've taken my lessons. Uh -huh. I'm licensed. I'm ready for the open road. Okay. Um, I'm especially drawn to the Harley-Davidson's Softail Deluxe Bike in Morocco Pearl. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> in terms of its size and styling, it kind of reminds me of the Vespa. Which, is, which kills two birds with, with one stone for sure. me. And though, even though I'm a big girl, I don't want a big bike. So the beauty of the Softail Deluxe bike, like all Harley-Davidson motorcycles, is that it's customizable. When we come back from the break, let's talk about that. We'll be right back. <laughs> Kind of weak in the knees, learning late about the birds and the bees, falling in love on the beast. Playing ball at the age of 13, everybody's going up with the dream. I never noticed what could happen to me. Time flies when you walk on the streets.
Welcome back. You're listening to Full Body Frequency. Joining me is, again, Smedmore Bernard, a writer instructor with Harley Academy. Welcome back. Great to be back. Great, great. So before the break, we were talking about the Soft Tail Deluxe Bike um, and its its ability be, to be customized. And as I was saying, some of my preferences um, are larger, reduced reach seat, mm-hmm. shorter handlebars, mm-hmm. And a twin cam 103 power engine. Wow. Yeah. I, a lot of power there. A lot of power. <laughs> but I'm an average height for a woman. But um, weight is different, not average weight. So am I correct to include my weight in as a factor for choosing the bike type and the engine, especially since most bikes are, are, are built to accommodate an, an average size person of approximately 180 pounds? Mm-hmm. And his or her passenger. So what is it that I need to to think about as I am looking for a bike or choosing a bike to accommodate both weight, height, and power? Okay. Well, first of all, the best thing you can do is spend some time with uh, some of the guys there at, at the fit shop, um, and they'll customize it for you. And be open because you may have this vision, but they may uh, say, well, let's look at it this way. Why don't you... Uh, think about let's change the handlebars and uh, literally change the handlebars and let you feel it. Um, first thing I would recommend before we do all that is just kind of write it based on what you have right there as stock okay. and then go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, you may want to change uh, the handlebars. You may want to change uh, the, the, your foot pegs, um, your sets, um, or your seat, but and get a, maybe something for give you a little bit more height or to bring it down a little bit more. Uh, but the thing is, have an idea based from the stock, okay. and they'll work with you in terms of uh, really setting you up the way you should be. So what role, if any, do mm-hmm. physics play with the way larger bodies control bikes, mm-hmm. especially when braking or stopping? Okay. Well, that's a good question, and that's actually a very interesting question because one of the benefits of riding a motorcycle is – you have two brakes. Okay. You have your rear brake and your front brake. And as you allow yourself to go more forward, as you apply both brakes, you always want to apply both, even though that 75, 70% of your braking is actually in your front brake, mm. you'll be able to stop quicker. But also, you have to remember that it was going to require a little bit more power to take off than, say, for instance, someone smaller. Okay. 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 Um, in terms of actually turning, which is, one of the funs of motorcycle. One of the fun things about motorcycling is that you have to put less hand pressure on the grips than someone smaller. Where someone would have to probably lean their whole body towards it, you're just kind of just pushing slightly, slightly pushing in and out, pushing out. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Okay, so where are your favorite places to ride locally? regionally, nationally, and I know you've done a lot of international travel, so tell us about, about that. Well, I think probably my, my favorite ride as a tourist mm-hmm. would be Germany, uh, the Autobahn. And even though there's some nice, uh, some nice roads that are off the Autobahn, uh, the Autobahn itself is a very nice ride, particularly if you're not familiar with a particular place because it's a pretty straight road, and of course you can go as fast as you want to, though surprisingly you most of the locals don't go as fast as you think they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also a very beautiful countryside. It's multicolored fields. Uh, you can see most of the major cities as you approach it. It's very, very, very scenic, very, very wide open. Um, 
kind of would be a, my – I've ever, never ridden to Montana, through Montana, but I imagine it would be kind of like riding through Montana. Mm. Um, locally, well, Lakeshore Drive is always a great ride, um, going uh, from the south uh, branch all the way to the north branch, all the way up to Wisconsin. It's always great. Oh, wow. Um, one of my guilty pleasures is on occasion I'll just get up on a Sunday and just say, you know what, I want to have brunch at this crazy – this little um, – Buffet in Springfield, Illinois. It's actually a very nice ride. A um, little crowded around normal, but other than that, it's usually a pretty nice scenic ride. How long of a ride is that? Uh, depends on how you ride, but um, <laughs> I'll say roughly about four hours going the proper speed limit. And that's one way? Yes. Wow, that's a day trip. Yeah, that's really a day, day trip. trip. Okay, okay. So... There's a really kind of exciting movie that came out about a year, maybe two years ago, called Why We Ride. Yeah. And I was really fascinated by it. Um, so, and I know you did some work to promote, promote the movie. Yeah. So tell me about your connection to the movie. Tell us about uh, whether or not it spoke to you. I'm assuming that it did. You know, it did speak to me uh, just because anyone that has a passion for motorcycling, it's it definitely does something for you. But I, I'll tell you this. When it comes to particularly to women and motorcycling, I, I always go back to one particular author who kind of touched me. I met her once at a, um, a motorcycle show that, that's held annually in Chicago in February. Uh, her name is Liz Jensen. And she wrote a book, uh, Women, Motorcycle, and the Road to Empowerment. Mm. You know, and it's funny because... She, it spoke to me because when I refer to motorcycling, initially in class, I always make this kind of joke about Fight Club because if you remember the movie Fight Club, it was never really about fighting. It's about just letting go, and that's what motorcycling is. Uh, if you had a bad day at work, uh, something's going wrong in your life, take a few moments, clear your head, get on your motorcycle, and all of a sudden, Everything feels much better. It's much better than a therapist. And I go back to uh, Liz Jensen on that because uh, she was very humble in her approach about it. Um, person that kind of picked up motorcycling later in life, but uh, she's done a really good job of just kind of making it an empowering tool for women. I can't, I can't uh, speak highly enough about her. That's really a perfect place to end yeah. this interview. Thank you so much, Memoir. This has been great it's been inspiring it's been empowering it's gotten me ready in some ways mentally to approach my lessons well great for for writing because when it comes to writing motorcycling is more mental than physical actually and actually somewhat spiritual now to learn more about the harley davidson riding academy asphalt sisters or why we ride just visit the full body frequency facebook page to share your writing fantasies and keep it clean, comment and use the hashtag FullBodyFrequencyRide. Up next, curvy, vivacious songstress, Roger Lari. Stay tuned.
you could see clear across the world. But I'm a real strong sister with a big old dream. You should never judge a book by its cover, you see. Stand tall, embracing my identity. Cause ain't a damn thing false when it comes to me. Took a long time, now I'm feeling fancy free. Listen, let me tell you how I came to be. The girls on the screen Straight hair and long legs I felt so ashamed Knew my hips would never match What the TV portrayed Flashback to when I was about 14 I had fake long nails And a big old weave I tried every day You're trying to be size 10 Used to get so dizzy That my head was Roger Laurie inspires an engaging listening experience for music lovers. Her voice vibrates with a clear and honest joyfulness. This is no doubt the result of time spent in her church choir. While attending Berkeley College of Music, alma mater of Esperanza Spalding, Layla Hathaway, and too many others to name, Roger Laurie shared a stage with the renowned Bobby McFerrin. In 2012, Roger Lari wrote and performed Natural for Visions Beauty Distributors' first Natural Hair and Health Expo. Natural has since become the theme song for many a plus-size naturalista. Roger Lari, you don't ask, you don't get Barnes. Welcome to Full Body Frequency. Oh, thank you so much. I got to say, starting off, I'm really digging Journey of a Woman. As soon as I heard Natural, I thought, oh, she nailed it. Roger Laurie has captured the uniquely yet universal experiences of so, so many of us curvy black naturalistas. How is that birth experience, the birth of consciously walking into your own natural beauty, and the birth of that song? Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much for loving the music and uh, loving the song. It's definitely been an amazing experience for me. Um, the The song was actually almost commissioned by Visions Beauty's distri- distributor. If they had asked me, I was going to perform there, and they said, oh, can you do some sort of, you know, natural hair anthems? You know, these places always ask you for, like, some sort of catchy tunes. And I was thinking, well, I'm not really like a commercial writer like that. I just write whatever I feel. You know, I don't do anything like that. Um, but then I started to think about my whole journey. And, you know, I cut my hair. I had totally gone through an evolution in terms of how I viewed myself and my identity. And I really um, was was sort of contemplating how I felt about myself at the time as I was, like, writing Journey of a Woman as a whole. Mm-hmm. So natural was just this sort of evolution. And I thought about how I felt, you know, not relaxing my hair anymore. I was trying to eat healthier. I was trying to just look at myself in the mirror and fall in love with who I was without any sort of extra on, no fake nails, no weave, not to say that there's anything wrong with it. Right. But, right. you know, I just wanted to have a different relationship with myself. And that's sort of how natural came about. And then as we started to do the video, I know so many amazing curvy women who are like professionals, business owners, all that. And so I reached out to them. I sent this sort of dear diva letter and said, would you be interested in being a part of this project? Here's the day, you know, here's the studio where we're going to be. If you can get here, we would love to have you. And the response was so amazing that we actually had to close (laughs) 
closed the invitations because we had a few extra women. But it was so awesome. Like the women who came just showed up and they were so beautiful in and, and, and their various ways. And I'm just super proud of it. And I love the way that people respond to it. So it's beautiful. It, it, it really is beautiful. It, 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 it's expi- inspiring. And for those of us, uh, for those of those folks listening but not watching the video right now, who is the he in his eyes? Who who's that represent? That represents God for me. Um, really, you know, there's a part of the, there's a part of the video where I'm standing in the mirror and looking at myself, and I remember, you know, going through relationships and going through challenges and thinking, gosh, I don't even. When you start to put things on to make yourself more beautiful, sometimes you don't even recognize who you are. Like for me. I didn't know what my hair texture looked like until I cut it off because it had been relaxed and pressed and all this other stuff for so long. So I was like, you know, I really wanted to just have a relationship with myself and also a better relationship with God and knowing that the way I was born uh, was beautiful and that I needed to embrace that and that I was the apple of his eye. So absolutely, that's where it came from. It's beautiful. So let's explore the journey of a woman song by song. Give me a bit of insight okay. into each of the songs and how they figured into this, your journey. So um, the album itself, so I came here in 2010 and had my first album, Honey Wine, and, you know, that was great. I'm an independent artist, but I was really trying to figure out what is it that I want to say? What is the point of me being here and making this music? And I write from a very personal place. So Journey of a Woman is sort of like a portrait of a woman. It's everything that we go through. So the way that the that the album starts, you've got Journey of a Woman, and it's my declaration, you know, here I am, I got a little funk, you know, I'm going to do it, I'm going to make it to the Grammys, I'm stepping out. And then Natural is about, okay, I'm examining myself, I'm trying to appreciate my own beauty, find my own voice, be okay with that. And black girl is kind of, you know, we have our vulnerable moments. We go through stuff. Sometimes we're scared. Sometimes we need to remember who we are and our purpose and all of that. Um, and that we can do anything we put our mind to. And then peace is, you know, as women of color especially, we go through so many things on a regular basis. We have so much challenges and everything that we go through. So we have to have our own inner peace no matter what. And nobody can take that. And so peace was definitely about no matter what's going on around me, I'm the one that's going to keep my center calm. Absolutely. And then Dance With Me kind of explores relationships and, you know, we're very modern in our thinking. It's 2014 and should you be asking a man to dance and, you know, should you be putting yourself out there and all that kind of stuff. I love um, Chicago South Stepping, so some of my girls were always having that debate. Should you ask a man to dance and everything? Then open air is kind of what happens after the dance, right? You meet this guy, and um, actually real love comes before that. Real love is what happens after the dance. And it's, you meet this guy, and you're single, and he's single, but he may not be the right one. So do you spend this time with this guy, or do you wait for real love to come along? Um, and then open air, okay, so you find the guy, and you're really <laughs> happy about it. And uh, it was worth the wait, 
And Open Air was actually written uh, as I was meeting my boyfriend, Brian Lindell, and we were kind of having a new romance, and the song is kind of explaining that. And then Miracles, it's an awesome jazz groove. It's a love song. I really love it because it showcases the talent of the musicians who are on the project. And then Juicy is uh, a cover of an M2MA song. I've always wanted to cover this song. Um, and we just decided to put our own little spin on it. And what's love is the final, you know, reflection from this woman saying, okay, I know who I am. I know what I want. Uh, I have a little bit of fierceness about me. Yes, you may be a guy who's approaching me, and yes, you may be cute, but I don't know if I want to get into all that. So it's everything that we go through as women. It's our journey. It absolutely is. And what were some of your musical influences growing up, singing in the church choir and your grandfather's church in Kalamazoo, Michigan, Midwest Girl? Yes. <laughs> and who were some of your influences today? Well, when I was growing up, I mean, I listened to everybody from, you know, Shirley Caesar, the Clark Sisters, um, Sarah Vaughn, Ella Fitzgerald, Shaka Khan especially. Um, I was in love with anything Anita Baker ever sang, period. Mm. Um you know, for everybody. And then oh, these days, I'm really influenced by great songwriters. Like I was watching this thing um, from Neil, believe it or not, the other day. I think he's an awesome songwriter. Um, Jill Scott, Robert Glasper, Esperanza Spalding, obviously. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. There are so many jazz, and Michelle Farrell, there are so many jazz and R&B vocalists that I truly admire, so. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, and we'll step around here for a minute, but you spoke of all the influences and those people who inspire you right now. Are there any collaborations with those folks in the works? Um, not with those folks in the works, no. But, I mean, hey, my number is always open, so anytime they want to call me, I'm down. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to work with Robert Glasper, for instance. I think he's He's not only an amazing jazz musician, but he also seems to have a love and appreciation for great vocalists. So I think it would be a true honor to work with him. Absolutely. He is he is what's now and what's next, for sure. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. So you recently turned, returned from London and Paris, and the music scene in Europe, as we know, is a, a bit different than here in the U.S. Um, some may even say it's quite a bit different. Uh, than that here, especially in the sense that there's an elevated level of appreciation or enthusiasm for music artists right. and artistry. Um, I'm particularly thinking of R&B in the U.K. and jazz in France. Was that yeah. your experience? Yeah, I, I did experience that. And there's something about, you know, when you watch these older videos, um, like I was watching the James Brown movie the other night, mm. And the enthusiasm that American, that the American public had for soul music, real soul music, like with live bands and funk and R&B and gospel and all that, um, you, you still see vestiges of that in Europe. I think Europeans appreciate authenticity. They, they definitely listen to mainstream media where there's a lot of synthesized music and a lot of electronic music, and they, they support that too. But I feel like there's more of an emphasis on appreciating live bands and live musicians. 
which you don't necessarily get over here. And I don't know if it's just because the music industry in America decided to be more cost-effective and hire less bands, but there's definitely a change. And it's refreshing. It's refreshing to go over to London and Paris and have people really be enthusiastic and, you know, really feel where you're coming from. I remember when I went to Paris, Real Love, which is one of the songs on the album, it's a really long song. It's like six and a half, seven minutes long. And so as I'm going over the set list, I told the band, you know, we'll just cut that one out. We don't have to do it. And they were like, no, we have to do that song. It's a beautiful love song. And, you know, you wouldn't hear that in the U.S. They'd be like, yeah, let's keep it moving. Do the songs that are like three minutes and keep it going. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a nice, it was a nice surprise. Oh, that's great. Well, we're going to hold that thought real quick, and we're going to come back in a minute to talk a little bit more about Paris, a little bit more about the U.K. and your shopping experience. But we'll be right back with more Roger Laurie and her journey of a woman right here on Full Body Frequency. Because I want to tell you a story about how I met this man, and I asked him to dance. Would you believe it? (laughs) Girl, do I have a story for you? Body Frequency is back with Roger Laurie, whose song you just heard is Dance With Me, a stepper song. But before we get into that, let's go back to the UK and France and talk about fashion for the curvy woman. Did you find it? Was it there? It was there. And I have to tell you, I have a new favorite store. What's that? Um, Evans. Ah. This one's called Evans. Evans and Dorothy Perkins. The funny thing was I had um, I had an interview at BBC and I had ordered, I had almost all of my clothes, but I was missing one outfit for the BBC interview. And I literally shopped online to Dorothy Perkins, picked it up in the store and found a blouse to fit. It's the all pink outfit if you see it on uh, Instagram. Mm. And they had great stuff for curvy girls. And I felt like, thank you, God, because... <laughs> To be across the pond and not know what you're going to find to wear, you know, it's a little bit scary. And, you know, London fashion, um, especially for curvy women, it's a little bit more progressive. Mm. Paris doesn't have as many options, but they do, they are growing uh, a lot in that area. So it's great. It's great to see. It's great to see the movement grow. I love it. Great. And how were you embraced by the fans there, particularly curvy women? Totally embraced. I mean, it was, there were actually a few of my friends who I knew on Instagram. Uh, one woman, her name is Gael, and she came uh, on Instagram. She's Vanu Licios, and um, she came and brought some friends with her. And when I'm seeing a natural, I'm looking at the audience, and I'm seeing these girls with froze and curvy hair and stuff like that hanging in Paris and jamming to the song. So that made my day. Oh, that's great. And I love her work, too. She's, a, she's an incredible yeah. plus-size blogger. We'll have to have her on the show one day, for sure. 
So now going back to Dance With Me, a stepper song, confession time. Born and raised here in Chicago. I have lived in New York City (laughs) and L.A. where stepping is all the rage. But I never learned to step. And I know you step. You live in Chicago and you ain't doing no stepping. No, it's sad. (laughs) It really is truly sad. But one day I will be stepping. You but, know, I'm gonna come, when I come and see you in person, we'll do a little eight count. We'll be good to go. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You got it. There's so much going on, but is there a straight-ahead jazz CD in the works or anything as well? You know, this is always my... This is always my dilemma, right? Because Honey Wine was more of a jazz album, and then Journey of Woman is more of like a contemporary R&B soul album. And I think you're going to hear both from me. Um, I'm really looking forward to doing some more straight ahead jazz. At the same time, I have a lot of awesome tracks that I've been working with my, my producer, Aaron Brooks Roberts, um, on for, you know, album number three. So I have no idea what I'm going to do because I'm of two minds about this all the time. Do straight ahead or do like R&B soul. So I have to satisfy them, you know, at the same time. Looking back on your journey to womanhood and preparation for this journey, what would you tell your 22-year-old self, especially since this journey isn't for the faint of heart, this career isn't for the faint of heart? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I think if I had to look back, I would tell her, stop everything that you're doing, quit your day job right now, and go sing. Don't take no for an answer and just put yourself out there. Because I think sometimes when you're young and you're not sure of your direction, you can kind of hold yourself back out of fear. And, I, you know, I wish that I had started a little bit earlier. Obviously, I know that nothing happens by accident. I am here, you know, and I'm in this moment for a reason. But I think if I had known a little bit more, I would have just put myself out there earlier. And, you know, you have your own voice. You have your own uh, way of doing things as a musician, and you have to trust that and just go for it. Well, Rajalari, thank you so much for spending this time with us on Full Body Frequency. information on Roger Lari or anything you've heard on today's show, stop by the Full Body Frequency Facebook page. Before we go, I leave you with this week's Plus One from musician, composer, and ancient futurist Sun Ra. They say history repeats itself. Well, his story is not my story. What's your story? Until next time, tune into your own Full Body Frequency, where large is luscious living.